Excited to be here this morning. I'm so glad to be sharing God's word with you. I got to say, I'm, I'm excited for the kids today. A few weeks ago, I meant to tell you all how excited I was for the kickoff of CP Kids this month because we're actually teaching the kids through all the letters of the New Testament. All the New Testament letters are being taught to the children right now. So today, they're learning about 1 Corinthians in one whole sitting. And if you're, if you're like, wow, how can they do that? It's difficult. But they're going to get it done. They're going to they're gonna break down 1 Corinthians into three parts. And each age group is going to have a focus. And it's something that we're, we, we came into the new year with a charge, a desire to see the kids very systematically and effectively educated in the word of God. And that is what is going on in that age group, the kindergarten through fifth graders. And right now, uh, one of our deacons, Eric, is instructing them. Usually I get to instruct them. And it is a blessing and a joy to have that responsibility, to have that purpose and goal here for you as a church, as members of the church, and as, as parts of the body of Christ, to serve each other in that fashion. With that little diatribe, I am glad to be with you this morning. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor of Family and Discipleship here, which, which means I get to do a lot of stuff with the kids and also means that I'm very concerned with the overall growth and discipleship of the church. If you'll notice, I have a jug. I like to refer to this as a jug. It's a liter of water with me because I was one of the people to raise my hand about sickness. I am feeling a cold on just coming on. I don't, I don't have the sniffles. I don't have any of the, the sinus stuff coming yet. But, oh, I feel like I've got like a 50-pound backpack on right now. It's bringing me back to high school when I weighed 95 pounds and was 4 foot 11. And I had my biology text that weighed about 10% of my body weight in my backpack. And I just, I just feel that weight. But it reminds me of something that I'm very thankful for. As I've gotten older, some things have gone away. The hair. Um, but, and some things have diminished. But there has been something that has really grown. And to be honest, when I was a kid, I subsisted primarily on Mountain Dew. That was probably... A large portion, my mom is, she's grimacing right now. Um, a large portion of my calorie count each day came through some type of soda. And anytime people would say, you need to drink more water, you need to drink more water, I would say, blah, water? Have you tasted it? It's not great. I love water now. I don't know what happened. I got old and I started loving water. Ah. Oh. And you know, I mean, you know water's good when you get it. Like, you get some good water, and you're like, oh, there's no flavor. There's no, like, there's not the iron in it. Someone didn't mix three two, uh, teaspoons of sugar in this. This is, this is some good water. Unadulterated. There's nothing in there that is causing harm. And today we're going to talk about something that became adulterated. Something that was so important, such a blessing that was given by God that had come to be tinged with something else. Something that the people were meant to receive in joy and in, and in glory, but 
had grown a taste, had grown a flavor, had grown a distinction that kept it from being joyful. And we're continuing in our series on the upside-down kingdom. And just to give a preface, Christ's teaching, Jesus' teaching, had spread like wildfire. Everywhere he had gone, people were coming to see him. He had gotten so famous that people wanted to make him king, then and there. And when he tried to get away, they became forceful, and they were going to try and restrain him. So Jesus' popularity was off the charts. And he had come to be known kind of as a scrapper. Someone who was in opposition to the big people of the day. He was pretty scrappy with a group called the Pharisees and the scribes, sometimes called the Sadducees. These were the religious higher-ups of the day. These were the people that were running the synagogues. They were running the temple. They were in charge. And here is Christ Jesus gaining more and more and more popularity and being heard by more and more people. And people are wondering what is going on. In fact, they were looking at Jesus and they were seeing a contrast. They looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and they saw these these men and women that were obsessed with the law and the prophets. They were obsessed over it. You could even say they were obsessed over their law and their prophets. And they were very strict in obedience. And they avoided and ignored the sick because they were afraid of being unclean before God. And they did as much for themselves as they could. Often at the expense of others. All in the name of of keeping their law. But Christ comes in and he is, he is so antithetical. He is so diametrically opposed to what the Pharisees and Sadducees had come to represent. He did everything different. He was known for preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He was known for pursuing the sick and welcoming the sick and the afflicted, those who were diseased, those who were downtrodden. He was calling them to himself. He was healing them and cleansing them and telling them about God. And all he had done with such opposition between the two groups, scuttlebutt was going around. Words were being exchanged. People were wondering. Questions arose. If Jesus opposes the Pharisees and the scribes in that way, is he not also opposed to their law? Is he not also opposed to their prophets? What is he here to teach us about? And so Christ answers that question powerfully in our text today. Because Jesus was a rebel. But when you're a rebel, what are you rebelling against? And he needed to make clear to these loud voices what he was there to do. So we are going to read what he says that he was there to do, what he has done, what he is doing in us. And we're going to go to the text, but before we do, we must, we must pray to the Lord for help 
for wisdom and for guidance. So if you would pray with me, please do. Lord God, we call upon you now by your spirit to open our hearts, our minds, our eyes and ears to see you and your truth in your word. You alone enlighten us to the truth of your scripture. You alone by your spirit soften our hearts so that we can receive it and be transformed by it. And that's what we are after today, Lord. We are after transformation. Turn our kingdoms upside down just like you turned the kingdom upside down. Help us to live right side up today, Lord. Pray this all in your name. Amen. Jesus was such a rebel that he came and he spoke very clearly about the law, starting in verse 17. Do not think, right off the bat, he is saying, well, let's be clear about this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Hard stop. What he means there is not just the code of ethics. Not just the thing, the cause to obedience. He is talking about the word of God, the scripture. The law or the prophets was a turn of phrase to describe what we call the Old Testament. What they held to, what they studied, what they were concerned with. But Jesus is referring to the pure. He's talking about the law and the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. They were thinking, when they thought about the law and the prophets, they were thinking about the Pharisees' code, the additions, the arguments, the dissections. That's what they thought. Jesus is being clear. I have not come to abolish them. And I'll tell you this, the same people that were seeking to abolish it then are still doing it to this day. And Jesus is saying, no, do not quit on the law and the prophets. Do not quit on the word of God. Do not get rid of them. Do not think that you are freeing people by saying, I don't care about that law. I don't care about that Old Testament. There's something better. There's something better. Because I've not come to abolish come to fulfill them. Verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplishing. First, on abolishing, I just want to talk there. Jesus is being very clear The Old Testament, the law is not going away. It's not going anywhere. The law, it contained several things. It contained laws, but it also contained curses. It contained demands. And those were here to stay. They weren't going anywhere. But when Jesus is saying that, he is talking about how we would come to relate to them. Because Jesus is satisfying those laws. He's satisfying those codes. He's satisfying those demands. But at the same time, the other part of the law and the prophets, the promises, the revelations, the guidelines, the helps, the shadows, the hope, the joy, the prophecies, those weren't going anywhere either. 
Because here is Christ fulfilling them, satisfying them, taking what was so demanding to the people of God at that time and saying, I am here and it is complete. I shall satisfy everything that is before you so that when you look on me, you see total and complete fulfillment. What does that mean? That means that Jesus would live the law perfectly. He would live the way the law demanded. He would live the way the prophets had prophesied. He would be everything that they needed in a Messiah. Taking the whole of the law on himself and satisfying it in every portion of it. But not only would he live perfectly, but he would also die perfectly. Satisfying yet again all the demands, all the expectations, all the punishments and curses on our behalf, becoming our sacrifice, becoming our high priest, and being raised to the new life that we would have in him. Complete fulfillment of the scripture. Every law, every grace, every curse, every promise, every demand, satisfied and fulfilled. So what then? Because fulfilled doesn't mean farewell, according to this. It wasn't going to go away. The law was not going to disappear in a moment. No, fulfilled means something greater. In 19 through 20, after he says it will not disappear till it's accomplished, Jesus says this. First he gives a curse. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I'll say this. There is grace in that phrase because it does not say he will be called out of the kingdom of heaven. It's least. So there is grace for those who are mistaken when it comes to the commandments and the teachings of the Old Testament. But he continues. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. A little pause right here. Brother Phil was talking to me and he was, he just reminded of me of something before I came here to teach, which is always such a grace when you've got your sermon written, is to have another brother bringing up new stuff. But this phrase, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That would be a terrifying phrase for the audience who are hearing this. Because the, the Pharisees and the scribes were those who paid closest attention. They were the ones that were doing everything right. They watched themselves to the step to make sure that in every way, in every way, they were being obedient to the word of God. They were very, very concerned with their self. Jesus is saying it must exceed. So how could it exceed? Well, it exceeds by first being satisfied. It's satisfied in Christ. They could not satisfy the law. Their life was a continued 
life of pushing a stone up the hill and never getting to the top. The law could not be satisfied by them for two reasons. Number one, they couldn't satisfy the law. Number two, they were doing it wrong. As you read the New Testament, you see what the Pharisees and scribes did with the law. They were not pursuing the law in love for God and love for neighbor. What Jesus calls the the summary of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you ask them what they were doing, they were worried about rule breaking. In fact, they had a rule that if you gave money to the temple, you could just forget about your parents. Like if your parents were old and they needed to be taken care of, and you're saying, oh, you know, I've got a dilemma should I give to the temple? Should I give, give the money that I'm supposed to give? Or, or should I be taking care of my parents who are old and in need of help? My parents are not in, old and in need of help right now, yet. Um, <laughs> it got dark. Um, but they would say, oh, you, you, need, you need to give your money. Give your money, and you know what? Tell your parents that my money's given to God. I, sorry. That was, that was a crazy distortion of the law that they had come up with that was completely, completely opposed to what God's purpose was. So, for us to exceed the law, to exceed, or for us to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, what must we do? Well, we obey Christ, and we do them, we teach them, and accordingly, we be great, as I like to say. It's The reality of greatness is a result of our obedience. But first off, I just want to explain how we use the law. First off, we know that there are, I'm going to say there's four purposes of the law that are going to be put up on screen. Number one, the law exists to show us sin. It shows us what sin is. And anytime we look at the law and say, ah, this is such a drag. What a bummer that we have this list of things that tells us what is right and wrong. How dare you give me this list of rights and wrongs. I want you to know that the law was treasured by Israel in the Old Testament, not because they were so obsessed with the law, but to have a law, to have, to have a law was one of the, the best markers of a society back then. When God gave them the law, it was one of the greatest joys of the people. Because now they knew what it meant to be right. Now they knew how to treat one another. There was clear lines of clear codes of conduct. How to love one another. How to take care. How to be a society. And they did not have those codes before God gave them to them. Everyone did what they wanted. They tried to be as close to obeying God as they could, but there was not clarity. And God gave them clarity. He showed them what sin was. But not only did he show them what sin was, he was helping to stop sin. Because now that there was a law, there was also means for stopping sin. And if you, if you think, you know what, we should just all do what we want. My goodness, read the news. Because I feel like and yet again, this might be one of those things where I get older and water tastes good and I get bummed out by the news and I shake my fists at clouds. But 
it just seems like things that we hear about are worse and worse. And that any opportunity to actually stop sin, I'm not saying have some code where everybody has to measure up to something, but the laws that are meant to protect people, to protect children, to protect women, even the, the, oh, the furiousness that I feel inside me reading about the Olympic Committee, the G- Women's Gymnastics Olympic Committee right now, if you want to get righteously angry, read those articles. Read the testimony of those that were abused. Because that is why God gave the law. To protect those who were innocent. To protect those who were at risk. To protect those who needed protection. And to call out and stop those who are evil. But not only would it stop sin, it would show right. It would be a guidance to doing right. And then, first and foremost, though it's last, it shows us Christ. Because it shows us his perfect obedience, even when we cannot obey even when we fall short, even when we fail and break the code, the law shows us a Savior who has perfectly satisfied it and given it to us. Given his obedience to us. So for us, it's knowing that the law and all its demands are fulfilled. But then knowing simultaneously that it is still before us to show us the ways to go. And I'll just just break it down as simply as possible. Just two commands are all we need to know to know what it means to be filling in righteousness and to be growing. This table is super wobbly. It's really distracting to me right now. Two commands, back to, back to business. Two commands for us to hear. And Jesus relays them in Matthew 22. When he's asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to them, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So first off, love the Lord your God. When you read, if you, when you read the Ten Commandments, these are the first four. They're all about loving God. But the second, Jesus says, is like it. Is like it. It's a strange turn of phrase. What he's saying is that when you love the Lord your God, you should also love those who are made in the image of God because that's what we are. Human beings are created in the image of God. And if you love God, you should love those created in his image. And this is how you do it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then verse 40, beautifully. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets everything in the old testament hinges on those two commands so if you want to know how do i exceed in my righteousness love love is the fulfillment of the commands and sadly the scribes and the pharisees did not love They selfed. They cared about self. 
They cared about what others thought of them. They cared about what they did before God themselves. They were not concerned with the purpose of the law. They were not concerned with the purpose of the prophets. They were concerned with what was happening in their world right then. And Christ is telling them, love. Get out of your own head. Get out of your own self. Focus on other people first by focusing on God. That is how you exceed in righteousness. But don't just do it. Don't just do it. Teach it. Teach it. And you ask, how do we teach this? I'm not a teacher. I'm not great at teaching. You know, we get these, we need volunteers for programs. I, I, I don't know if I can teach. He's not saying become an instructor. He's not saying gather up four people and work them through a book of the Bible. No, he's saying teach them. How should we teach them? By doing them visibly. By doing them visibly. Because living something is the best instruction. Living something fully and honestly is what changes the world. That is why we have a distaste for hypocrites in this world. Why we have a distaste for hypocrites in the news. People who say they are about one thing and becomes about something completely different. Because they're a lie. No, rather what we need is more people living their life transformed. And by living their life, they are teaching something. This is what God commanded. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy is actually a collection of sermons. We're going to skip down a little bit to verse 7. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What Deuteronomy is saying, what Moses is saying in that passage about instruction is that it's all the time because your life is your teaching. How you live and what you do is the way that you teach others about the reality of Christ. When I was younger, my dad would tell me the reason he married my mom. Oh, <laughs> my mom has a grimace right now. Uh, <laughs> and I love the story. Because the reason my dad married my mom is not because he says, you know, we were in Racine and I looked across the pool table to the other side of, I'm going to be honest, the bar, the restaurant, whatever it was. And I said, oh, that's the most beautiful woman in the world. Though he would say that. He would always tell me, the reason he married my mom is because he wanted a strong family. He wanted to find a woman who came from a strong family so that he could raise a strong family. And so last weekend, we were at the Dells as a family. My mom was crying and I'm about to cry. 
And all I could be was thankful that that was the defining reason my dad married my mom. Because what they had created was a legacy of strong families. And that is what Deuteronomy 6 is saying. And it's, it's saying, take it, take it to the next level. Create a legacy of those who love the Lord. Not just by teaching your children, though it's saying teach your children, but by teaching everyone about the good news of God. Teach everyone about who God is by being immersed in it. It's giving very specific instructions, but really all it's saying is, hey, all the time, teach your kids about God. And so what we need to see is all the time realize that the law is satisfied in Christ and now is given to you as a gift. So you ask, how? How? How do we do this? It's an old phrase, the old, old story of a man named John Newton. You would know him as the author of Amazing Grace. He, he was an amazing hymn writer. He was an amazing pastor. He is one of my many heroes who are old and dead and write in very archaic words. He talked about life. And he said that in my life, I live with the gospel diluted. We hear diluted and we say, ooh, diluted? That means not very strong, right? No. It meant pervasive, everywhere. Think if this was, let's imagine this was milk. It's not milk, it's water. Let's imagine that this was milk. And I said, you know, I could really go for some chocolate milk. That's right. It's funny. Um, I could really go for some chocolate milk. You have options. You have the Hershey syrup. You have the Ovaltine. You might have some healthier version through Isogenics or whatever. Um, I'm not going to call it a scam. My wife uses it. Um, whatever shake format you have, it's the worst when two things happen. When you either don't put in enough and you can't taste it, or you put in too much, and you start drinking, you're like, oh, this tastes great. And a big chunk, or the syrup hits you right in the face, and then you choke on it. Like, that's, that's terrible. The point is, we need the gospel, we need the righteousness of Christ to be so per pervasive in our life that people notice it, but aren't overwhelmed by it. Because if, they're, they're over, if they choke on it, it's not going to accomplish that which it's set, it set out to do. They're going to find it distasteful. They might, have, they, might not, they might not receive it right. The point is not to, to make it too rich. The point is actually to make it chocolate milk. Because chocolate milk that has too much powder isn't actually chocolate milk. It's bad. So the reality is that we need faith in Christ. We need the reality of Christ's fulfillment. We need the reality of what is being taught to us in the law to so pervade our life that that's just how people know us. That that's just them. When I was in college, I was charged up with the glory of God. 
And I worked at a stone shop. And I, I just love, we, we would sit there and we'd have headphones in. And I just like singing. I'm a singer. And I would just sing things I was listening to. I'd sing some David Crowder band. I'd sing some hymns. I was loud. And I wasn't offensive. The guys were fine because I apparently have semi-nice personality. And I remember one, a customer coming through, or one of, the, one of the salespeople was new, and he heard some racket going on. And the guy asked one of my coworkers at the time, he's like, what's, what's that noise? And my coworker said, oh, that's Scotty. He just really loves Jesus. Like that's right there. It wasn't, yeah, Scotty, he's a weirdo. Or, yeah, Scotty, you know, he says one thing and then he does something else all the time. No, that's Scotty. He loves Jesus. If everybody at my old place of business would know that of me, that would be my joy. That would be my joy. Not that I'm the preacher that comes in every once in a while. Not that I, I'm the, the family guy. Not that I'm the guy that they can depend on in a pickle. But rather, that's Scotty and he loves Jesus. That's what I want all of us to be known for. Is to be, that's Amber. And she loves Jesus. That's Sam. He loves Jesus. That's John. He loves Jesus. And that's what the law can do for us. It can take the righteousness that we have in Christ and start revealing more and more in all of our life. It can help us to take out the things that are bad, help filter it out. It can help put more of the good of what it means to be righteous in Christ into us. And it can grow us more and more so that as we go forth, what we are known for, it's not being a rule keeper, It's not being a person who's obsessed with the Bible. It's not being a person who has their law that they keep to, like a scribe or a Pharisee, but rather that we would come to be known for the purpose of the law. Christ and our love. Pray that that is what Christ does in you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is both the new covenant and the old covenant. And that there were so many laws, there were so many prophecies, there were so many stories that were pointing to something amazing and that you came and you were amazing. You satisfied that. And that then you gave us these letters and the gospels and so many things to show us what it means to be a church. And what it means to live out our life in Christ. So we pray that as we receive your teaching, as you turn our kingdoms upside down to be like your kingdom, I pray that you would help us to love more. Help us to love you, God, so that our obedience is true, so that our obedience is reflective of a realization that we have been redeemed from death. But let that love overflow in its exceeding and fill the lives of all we come in contact with. Bless us now in that, O Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.